from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by something in the water brewing as the Toronto Argonauts beat the Ottawa Red Blacks 27-22 in Ottawa and in doing so set a franchise record, tie a CFL record and also establish a different record. We'll get into all that. We'll talk about the game, break some things down, go with our players of the game, plays of the game, all that more coming up in just a second. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about something in the water brewing. You've got to get down to something in the water brewing for the East final. We're going to have something going on pre-game. Remember, the game starts at three o'clock. We're going to have something going on uh, before that. Uh, they've got a great setup there. They're in Liberty Village, just a few steps from BMO Field, not far from Lamport Stadium either, uh, with where the Argos do their practicing. Uh, but it's a great place to grab a beer pregame. You can get some Longboat Pale Ale, which I've got going on beside me here. Longboat Pale Ale, the beer that was made for fans of the Double Blue. So make sure you check out something in the water brewing. It's a great place to pay a wager to your... Uh betting uh, superior as well it's true we all have to get into that in our pregame walkthrough this week but yes jb uh after well he has no more fleeces left uh he did <laughs> end I, up... said, I focused too much i focused too much on the picking i i, I cost myself that's true jb beat me by one pick so yeah we're gonna have to go to something in the water and uh we're doing we're doing flights or something like that right so i believe all right, well, we'll have to figure that out and we'll we'll have to document that, I think, as well. We'll see what we can do. All right, let's get into this game. First of all, let's talk about the record. Um, it, it's amazing. Like it, it, for as long as for as long as the CFL has been playing 18 game seasons, uh, to go back through the history and to only have had one previous team get to 16 wins and the Toronto Argonauts, despite the fact that for the last third of the season, we're rotating guys on rest still ended up with 16 wins. Uh, it's it's a remarkable thing. Their their starter, Chad Kelly, was 15-0 and in games that he started and finished. And then Cam Dukes, and with so many starters resting in today's game, you've got you, you've got uh, DeVaris Daniels that's out, you've got A.J. Olette is out, Andrew Harris obviously is still out. Uh, DeMonte Coxey didn't play. Uh, you have... Uh, Hendricks and um, all the guys on defense as well. Um, Stiggers was out. Uh, Winter McManus, like it was, it was a, it was a rest day. This was like the game last year at the end of the season, and like the game two years ago at the end of the season against Edmonton. But this one finished very differently with the Argos on top, and to be able to do both of those things was was pretty remarkable. This is a this is a historic mark. And JB, I think it's I think it's important that like regardless of what goes forward, and I know it's not going to mean anything to a lot of people if they don't win the Grey Cup, but to go 16 and 2 in a CFL season is just unbelievable. Yeah, I I find it so frustrating when I hear TV people or various media people talk about, well, they did that now. Let's see if they can win it. Like what what kind of attitude is that? Like to to dismiss everything you did in the regular season, then why have a regular season? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Of course you want to win the championship, but to say not winning the championship invalidates winning all these games. There may be players who believe that. 
and I understand why from a player point of view. But I mean, from a from a neutral perspective, objective perspective, to to not celebrate this record and to to say that it is only worthy if they win the championship is uh, preposterous. And anybody who says it should uh, should rethink um, their profession of covering regular season football games. And yet we know that that is what matters. Like that we know, like we've talked about example, like you and I've talked about examples, whether it's the 2007 Patriots or the 1989 uh, team from Edmonton, they, they don't get talked about. They get, there's always an asterisk next to it of, oh yeah, but they didn't win. Um, but those were remarkably good teams. Uh, but it's just, it seems to be how it is. Like if you don't win the Grey Cup, if you don't win the Super Bowl, if you don't win whatever it is, True. It, it is, it is an overwhelming aspect of it. It is. Uh, and I don't think it's just football either. I think, no, you know, it's not. It's all sports. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is frustrating because it does sort of increase the, the belief that the regular season is a almost complete waste of time. Let's talk about the other record too, which I think is interesting. Although, Again, it's it worries me in a way, but uh, the other one is that the Argos finished with a ten and zero record against the East Division. No team in CFL history has ever finished ten and zero in their division, uh, which is a pretty <laughs> amazing mark. So they've got four wins over Hamilton, three over Montreal, three over Ottawa, and this year the East uh, did really well against the West. And so there's not even that argument of. Oh, yeah, but it's the East Division. No, the East Division was in many ways the tougher division. Now, I think I don't know if I really believe that because I think that there were two real uh, juggernauts to contend with in the West. But Montreal down the stretch played as well as anybody. And Hamilton as well in those last few games really turned it on. And those teams, they, they did well against the West. They they beat up on on the West teams. So it's a, that's a remarkable achievement too to go to be the only team in CFL history uh, to to go undefeated in their division with nine or more games. Uh, no team has gone nine and zero in their division. No team has gone ten and zero in their division. Yeah, I mean it. It just speaks to you know why we thought the team was so good way back in camp is just incredibly deep. They have you know they're bringing Hadel out today and he's making huge catches. I mean they just go six or seven fantastic players at every position uh it, it's something really to uh something really to behold and you saw tonight where ottawa desperately wanted to win that game at home against toronto's b c plus team and honestly they were never in it it's pretty unbelievable actually to think about the fact that ottawa had most of their starters going they were they were trying to win in front of their home crowd they were trying to get to rushing and passing marks and they were they were stuck at the end like feeding the ball to Williams trying to get him uh over that thousand yard mark when really they should have been going hurry up and passing the ball downfield but they just they felt like I'm sure they felt like that would have been taken care of earlier uh earlier on but uh yeah pretty unbelievable that uh that the Argos could roll out and it's not just this game but I think this game really stands out to me because it was the most starters that the Argos had rested and they're really playing against do. a team that wasn't doing the same. I mean, obviously I do, but I really do, even as an objective fan, hope we get a Winnipeg-Toronto uh, Great Cup. I think that will be a titanic battle. 
I think so too. I, I, cause I think Winnipeg is an excellent team. I, I, I hope that, you know, so much stuff can happen, right? Like we, we don't, Toronto could very well go out there and, and lose in the East final. It's football and things happen. And, and I, I would be surprised by that, but I could totally see it happening. I could see Winnipeg losing in, in the West final as well. It football is weird. Sometimes strange stuff happens. Um, like, like strange stuff. Like we saw tonight, like who thought that Benji Franklin was going to get an interception tonight. He wasn't even supposed to be dressed. Uh, he was, um, he, he wasn't supposed to be dressed tonight. He ends up, um, on the field because there was a late scratch. I think it was Jamie Harry was a late scratch, had a little bit of tightness pregame. So they end up activating uh, Benji Franklin. He gets out there, gets a pick, almost gets a second pick uh, and was unbelievable uh, in, in coverage as well. So it's, it's weird stuff happens sometimes. Let's get into uh, talking a little bit about the specifics in this game, JB. Uh, let's start with Cameron Dukes. Uh, I, I thought he looked as good as he has looked. Um, again, without his without starting receivers, he did have the starting offensive line, which is huge because so often you're trying to evaluate backup quarterbacks and you've got the backup O line in there, and it's it's impossible to do that when you've got when everyone's a backup. With receivers, it's still tough, but with a starting O line, you at least got to look at Dukes. He ends up completing 65% of his passes for 317 yards, led the team in rushing by a, a mile because Toronto could not run the ball tonight from the backs. Um, what do you think of his play today? Uh, well, I mean, again, you know, I, I'm, I've been hard on him and he has come through. He doesn't always look the prettiest, but he is a kind of a streaky guy and he does come in and get wins. I think, He's not a player who is being groomed to be a starter, in my opinion. But if you're looking for kind of a like a scrappy guy who's going to come in and he can drive the car without putting it in the ditch, um, he's your man. Yeah, I think he's the I think he's the perfect backup. He's got in his sort of three bits of extended action that we've seen. He took Winnipeg into the fourth quarter. He had the lead when he was taken out, um, and then the lead evaporated quickly after that. He came back in at the end and couldn't pull it out. In Saskatchewan, he leads them from behind. We talked about that, obviously, for a, a long time uh, in that game against Saskatchewan. The, the That last uh, miracle drive, Sandani and, and Coxey, and he gets the win there. And then here he plays the full game which is a huge surprise. I thought he'd play a half. I thought we'd see Brian Scott for a half. I don't know what's going on there. That's it, It's a really odd situation to me. This would have been the perfect time, I think, to get some kind of look at, at Brian Scott, but they clearly decided that Dukes is the guy they, they wanted to evaluate more, or maybe even just Dukes is the guy they want to get ready. And they just don't foresee Brian Scott as being a this year um uh, this year piece uh, like that's the only thing i can think from it because if they had any thoughts no, about him yeah. being involved this year he would have played i think they've been i think they've been uh pretty clear on their stance on him very so no i know i look i thought he he played i i i i can't i can't say great but but he gets it done he's like a he's like a baseball hitter hits 265 and you know pretty good not great pretty good got the job done um 
I wish I could get more excited about it. <laughs> but that's but, but that's what, like I, I, I think we have different I think we have different expectations from backup quarterback. Like that's what I want from a backup quarterback. We've seen some terrible backup quarterbacks in the CFL. There are guys that come in and just like immediately set everything on fire. And it's so like, what is just, happening no, he, here? He is, he does not turn the ball over. He makes smart plays with the ball. Uh, he throws a decent deep ball. He, he, he can run for first downs. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. I, I've come around on him. Uh, I still, I still don't like him on the short yardage sneaks. I don't think he's, he's actually that good at them, but. Uh, I have come around on him. I think that he is a, a a backup that you can count on heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and I agree with that too. And I don't. I I I think I think we're kind of talking about the same thing, but I think our expectations from the backup are are different. You want the backup to be Nathan Rourke uh, and Chad <laughs> Kelly. I, I do actually. Yeah. Yes, and that and that would be great. I you know that would be awesome. But I well the, more maybe. But you're right. I mean, you're right to say it doesn't really work. Like if you look at like. You know, uh, Fajardo or Caleros or the guys who have come through and then moved on is is probably better to have a backup who is not going to want to be a starter. Yeah, it just doesn't like those guys don't like unless your quarterback, your starting quarterback is in his last year or something like the it's a, Nathan Rook's a, not a great example because then he left. But supposing he wasn't quite good enough to get to the NFL that would have been a great scenario. You've got Michael Riley, who's a year away from retiring. You've got this guy who's going to be a star. Like, yes, that is perfect. Um, no, it was too perfect because he's in the NFL now. But something like that. Or McLeod Bethel-Thompson, Chad Kelly. That's great. That is a that is the perfect I, scenario. I do feel much more confident than I did a month ago about Duke. So I, I will say he has achieved that for sure. Uh, I don't know what was going on with the run game. It, the line was having issues. The the backs, well, Adebaboye getting hurt early uh, really hurt the running game. And hopefully he's going to be okay. Uh, coach said post game that it's a high ankle sprain. He's hopeful that with rehab, he'd be able to get back for the East final. Maybe, like certainly having the bye is, is helpful. Uh, but I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be really. High ankle sprains are tough. They're almost for a running back too. Yeah, they're almost always a month. Yeah, so I don't know. Fingers crossed. Unless you know, you're he, Pat Mahomes for some reason. Yeah, I know. There's some guys that seem to, but again, it's a different position. I think you know, quarterback. You you always have a bit of a different conversation for running back. That's that's going to be really tough. And yeah, you can really tape it up, but but his his assets are really because I'm expecting Harris to come back. I think it's going to be Olette and Harris as the primaries. So out of a boy, you're you're really looking to for his special teams prowess. And, and that's something that is going to really hurt him. Now, maybe just because of the the lack of frequency with the plays, maybe it would be okay, but we're gonna have to keep our eye on that going forward. Um, that was, that was just crushing to see. And I, and I feared the worst when it happened because they brought the card out and everything. And I thought, oh man, this is, this is a knee or, or a broken bone or something like that. At least with a, an ankle sprain, there's a chance. And so, yeah. And that's, so, you know that's yeah no so best wishes to him for sure yeah no for sure and and you know just even based on um, you know his his family and his himself you know we 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 love that family uh, he's a great guy and he works so hard you just you hate to see something like that happen to, to happen to a guy like that so uh, again it could have been way worse fingers crossed for a, a quick recovery um, but I think we saw again like when McMahon came in as the primary back. We saw why McMahon can't really be the primary back. We talked no, about this not, before. You he's need, not, I, nor should he be, right? Like he—that's not. 
that's not what he does any more than you want Unger to be your number one target, right? Like that's it's not what he's built for. It's not what he's there for. I think you know. I think it's just a it's just a mismatch. So yeah, I, th- I think it's fine. You just he, he he's you know when he was in that position, he just he he's not built for that. And and you can see from the turnover and from the lack of success, like that's he's he's a change of pace guy. He is not an every down guy. And it's pretty amazing to me, like statistically, that he had a five-yard run, he had like a two-yard touchdown run, and ended up with negative one rushing yards on the evening, just to show you how poorly everything else was going. He had seven carries for negative one yards with a touchdown. And yeah, along I mean, five. if you know he's the running back and he's coming through, he's, he, I don't think he's that hard to, he, he isn't that hard to stop. He, he needs to be somebody where you're loading up to stop power and then you get speed. And he had a costly turnover to what could have been costly, except the Ottawa seemed to want to turn the ball right back over again. <laughs> Every time Toronto made a mistake that Ottawa was like, no, no, here you go. You, you take it back again. So yeah, the, but yeah, the running game, I don't know. It was a weird game. Nicastro, I thought had a, a poor game and he's, I don't think he's had a poor game all season. I was just talking about him this week as being like one of the guys who just, he's so consistent every week you get a great game from him. He looked a little bit off today. He allowed a sack to uh, Santos Knox. Um, he let guys into the backfield on, there was an inside zone run where his guy just came flying right through and and crushed McMahon, I think it was. Just a few plays where he just didn't look like the normal normal, normal uh, Peter Nicastro. And a few guys like that, I think, on both sides of the ball. But I think I'm going to chalk that up to guys just, they just can't wait for this to be over. Like, it's got to be so tiring. Six weeks of games that don't matter in the standings. You're trying not to get injured, but you don't want to think that way. You're you're just exhausted of these, these games not matter. Are you talking about Ottawa or Toronto? Uh, I talk about Toronto, like Toronto's oh, yeah. got their own problems, but like Toronto's <laughs> just probably so tired of, of playing in these games. And I think it's just easy to have a mental lapse. Uh, a couple of guys that just, I, I didn't think, I didn't think um, Jordan Williams had a great game today either. There's just a few guys that we know are great players that have consistently been great performers all season long. And today they're just, they're ready for this to be done. Uh, receivers, another game for, uh, your man Ungerer. Uh, he's so good at being the, he's so good at being the last read. Like just when you think that everything's falling apart, how many times today do we see Dukes go through like first read, second read, third read, start scrambling, stepping up. He's like, oh my goodness. And there's no one near Ungerer and just flipping it out And that's a credit to Dukes as well. You know, the Dukes, I mean, I, I had said that before, like what is impressive about Dukes is he doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't make bad hero throws he plays within himself and he goes through his progressions he you know he 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 um you know he is a he is he's quite smart at the playbook you know he knows he knows where people are and he is he's able to go through that so like he 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 is a, a cerebral quarterback out there for sure he is and his receivers, uh, some, you know, Unger bailed him out a bunch of times. Sindani, I thought, made a couple of really nice plays. Neil had a couple of nice catches. They also let him down on a couple of occasions. Yeah, uh, Cam Phillips looked a little rusty. He did. And, you know, he ended up with four targets, one reception for five yards. I feel like he normally brings in that deep ball. I know he got turned around the other way. That's a really hard catch to make. But Cam Phillips is a good receiver. Usually yeah. he makes that catch and and he didn't. He just he didn't quite look on. But that's why you play him in a yeah, week like you, this. It's, you, it, right. I mean, it's like anything. You 
got to practice, right? Football is football is a sport that demands practice. When you don't, when you're not practicing and you're not playing, and you you see it immediately. And I think Agudosi showed a bit of that rust too. Like this yeah. is his first game action. He he could have had a, just a walk-in touchdown or at least a huge gain if he ends up going out of bounds on that. Was that Toronto's opening drive? I think. And Dukes just lofted up a deep ball as he was yeah, getting I mean, drilled I, you know, in the I ribs. Like, you should have caught that. Yeah, it just went off his fingertips. Um, and then Sandani uh, led to Dukes' interception. Um, hits Sandani right in the hands, but it pops up in the air and gets picked off. And, um, you know, just plays like that, that that kind of let their quarterback down. But they made some he great tar- catches as <laughs> he well. He targeted Sandani nine times. He loves Sandani. He like, does. I mean, those two, like, that is that is practice field, practice field bromance. It is, that, but that's, a, yeah, we talked about that before. It's a very real thing. It's it's yeah. why it's why Coxie and, and Kelly have that that chemistry, too. It's it's a guy that you, in your unit, that's the most trusted guy. And obviously, Dukes and Sandani have worked a lot together on the, on the practice field. And he's like, where's Sandani? <laughs> There's my guy. <laughs> so, and that, you know, that's both good and bad. I, I think it's great because it forces you to read the whole field a little bit. But, um, you know, in a big game uh, with all the starters out there, that's not necessarily uh, where you want to start with your with your reads. But again, for this, I thought it was fantastic. Nine, nine targets for Sandani. Uh, defensively, uh, they were they were good, but it, it was sort of hit and miss. There was there's some lapses, too. But I think that's the mental fatigue that we talked about a little bit. Darius Pickett looked like the Darius Pickett from a few weeks ago. He's been a little bit quiet by his standards. But man, was he flying around the ball tonight? I thought he was—he was everywhere. So he stood out on defense for me. Mason yeah, Pierce I, I too. I think he Sorry, probably. I mean, obviously, a lot of key defenders were out. Um, I'm sure he felt kind of a, an additional responsibility to kind of keep the form of that defense from totally collapsing. And you know, he looked like an all-star. Um, he, you know, he was—he was everything that we talked about all season. He, you know. He he doesn't have the the you know the thunder and the the presence of McManus as I guess nobody sort of south of Darth Vader does, but um you know he he Pickett was just you know such a smart, um useful defensive weapon. I mean, I'm sure coach just loves having him as a defensive coordinator to have somebody like that that you can plug in who can who can sack who can play deep coverage who can play underneath who will tackle in space um is always in the right position i mean he's just a dream yeah and he looked like the picket that was flying around when the games mattered more when the standings still were impacted picket was all over the place every game it's been tough the last few weeks uh guys have been in and out like we said but yeah you're right today he just decided to take over and then Mason Pierce had another great game. This guy, it's amazing to me. I tweeted this out earlier in the evening too. Tavares McFadden and Mason Pierce have played so well at halfback. Now, Tavares had the night off tonight. But those two guys, when you go back into the middle of the season, when Toronto loses Robertson Daniel, who was having one of the best seasons of any defensive player in the entire football league, and Deshaun Amos, who was playing out of his mind, they lose both those guys. No, and didn't drop a beat. Nothing. Because Pierce comes in, and Pierce is actually, like, he's, I, I I think he's actually playing as well as Robertson Daniel was playing. And this is yeah. a, a rookie. He, he he plays incredibly fast. He he is, 
Look, he's he's a twitchy athlete. Like he really is. When you watch him out there, he is flying around the field. And he's really smart too. You can yeah, see like him his, pick up on stuff immediately. His his pedal to break is elite. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, he you know, he has flaws, but his his break on the ball as a defensive back is as good as any of the other guys on the team. Yeah, and then to pair that with McFadden, who went from being like a ball hawk, like that was his thing at Florida State, was like he's the interception guy, speed guy, and he's as soon as he switched to halfback, he's become like the the thunder version of that, and he's just he laying everybody he just out. Loves hitting people. No, I know. I mean, it, I, again, it's a tribute to the coaching staff as well. I mean, these guys are terrific athletes, but you know, almost everybody in the league is a terrific athlete. Um, the fact that the coaches are able to identify who can fit into their system, they're the, they're able to teach their system in a way that makes the players so confident in knowing what they're doing that they can play fast. Um, you know, I, I I'm biased, but I, I I I I do chalk that up to coaching. I think when you can when replacement guys come in and you have no drop off, that is great coaching. And I didn't think there were a ton of like poor performances on defense. I, I thought uh, I thought Edward was a, a little bit off, but I think again he was put into a spot he wasn't expecting to be in, just like the whole defensive secondary because they weren't expecting that that late no, scratch. No, and, and they're playing very vanilla. Yeah, yeah. You I know, just I would I, like I him think, to be more aggressive. So so is Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think Ottawa just is vanilla. Um, but but this was the perfect game. Like, what a perfect situation because you you know they. You know they wanted that 16th win. Obviously, yeah. the Grey Cup matters more. I don't think there's any question about that. But they wanted the 16th win. That means something. You were you're in the history books forever. Like you are down there on on paper as as tied with the best regular season team ever. That's that is something. And so they wanted that. But they really wanted to be able to do it without playing starters. And usually that's not possible. We've seen that each of the last two seasons. They couldn't get it done last year with the same formula. They didn't get it done against Edmonton of all teams two years ago. It was, it was, that was a terrible game. Ugh. And, and then this year they came out and those same guys in the same sort of positions uh, with even less experience in some ways end up getting it done. So just a, a huge, huge achievement for the team and for the coaching staff to to get them in the right frame of mind to get everybody to show up and play like this I thought was huge all right JB let's get to our players of the game and our plays of the game so uh where are you going with your player of the game there's a few options here obviously uh yeah you know like honestly part of me like um you know I gave it to Mason Pierce last week and I he probably deserves it again but um I'm going to, you know, I thought we gave him his flowers last week. I think, you know, Benji Franklin played great and for, for a last second plug-in. You know, he he popped and was flying around the field really, con- again, really confident in what he was supposed to be doing. And I think that that is the the common denominator among the, the guys that they bring in, even guys they bring in at the last second. They know the playbook so well that they are very confident about where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do, and that increases their game speed and their aggression. Um, and I think he was an example of that. But for me, I have to go pick it. You know, he got nominated for defensive MVP. There might have been some chatter that maybe McManus, who's kind of come on in the last four weeks, should have been the guy. But you watch today, I mean, Pickett had eight tackles and a sack. 
He's all over the field. He's playing all kinds of different positions. Um, he is the the game changer for the defense. McManus is the you know the the wall in the middle, but Pickett is what makes the defense uh, special this year. And just on your shout out to Mason uh, Pierce, watch where he comes from on the interception he makes. Like if you haven't seen that play or if you watched it on TV and you don't remember, go back and find it. Uh, CFL tweeted at that play. Watch where Pierce comes from when he makes this play. And that will tell you the kind of athlete that we're dealing with here, the kind of film study he does, the uh, the the instincts that he has. Uh, those are elite on that play. It's Because I couldn't figure it out when it happened. I'm like, why is he there? And when they showed the replay, I'm like... Was still saying why was he there <laughs> his, and his end zone dancing uh also top shelf yeah i i that's less important but um uh, not, not as a not as defensive back is not i know that's true that's that's you you need to you need to be able to to pull off the end zone dance when you get a pick six it's an important <laughs> part of it uh just like <laughs> just like jumping in the water after a, a hole in one it is uh, so for my player of the game, uh, I'm going to go with Mason, uh, sorry, not Mason Pierce. I'm going to go with Cam Dukes. Um, again, a shout out to Mason Pierce, because like you said, I think he's right up there. But for Cam Dukes, like I said, 22 of 34, 317 with a touchdown, 40 yeah. yards rushing um, a- against most of Ottawa starting D. And Ottawa's, Ottawa's defense has has had games. Like they've had, they've had some real performances. I know as a team, they've been flat. They've had trouble, but... Uh, they've got some good players on that D, and and they were out there. And, and, I thought, and honestly, I I go back and look. I'm not sure how many times uh, Chad got over 300 this year. It was not a it was not a consistent thing. No, he didn't need to. We've no. talked about that before as well. Like Chad was shut down. Yeah, at I'm, halftime, you know, I'm, but... I'm just saying. Like they get over 300 is like that's not nothing. That's not just him, you know, driving the car and another old 300 because that 300 over 300 has not been a regular a regular number for the offense. No, that's true. It's true. And usually, usually they are running the ball a little bit better, but yes, they, they don't typically have those 300 yard games. So I think he deserves the, the player of the game. Uh, where are you going for play of the game? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, pretty good for a final game that didn't mean anything. Um, I, I like the, uh, the reset touchdown. Um, you know, it was, uh, kind of, a. A CFL hat trick, if you will, right? He had one uh, one catch, one touchdown, one ejection. Uh, so he kind of put the, that kind of trio together, which you don't often see. Um, he's earning himself some money. He's clearly shown himself to be a red zone target, um, a guy who who will catch the ball and score. Um, it'll be, you know, I hope I hope he resigns with Toronto. He's, I think, he's been a really useful player. He's, it's going to be hard to figure out what his price is, but um, he's a valuable part of the team, and uh, you know he's he's a great he's a great guy um, on the deep pass as well. Like when he gets a chance, he 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 does not drop the ball. He he uh, he's a very efficient scorer. So I thought that was my play of the game. That was a great throw by Dukes and a nice route, and uh, you know a dagger into uh, into Ottawa's season (laughs) (laughs) i think their dagger happened a while ago but yeah and i I think their season ending hopes i believe Brissett, even though i think he only ended up i think he only ended up with uh 
somewhere around the 600 yard mark on the season, which again is like the, that's pretty, not bad at all. Pretty good for not being a uh, you know not being a key you know a key really like a key starter. Very quietly went about it, and I I yeah. believe he has the same number of touchdowns as Demonte Coxie. I have to check that out, but I think he ended up with the same amount of TDs yeah, as Coxie. I thought he had a really good season. We had talked about it at the beginning of the year what kind of season he might have, and I, I have to think this is a best case scenario for him. I think that. This is who he is. I've, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe not. Look, maybe he has another gear if if he gets a regular start. But uh, to me, I thought this was fantastic for him. For play of the game for me, I I got to go back to that the Pierce pick six just because I I've, I've never seen it. I've just never seen. I can't recall ever seeing somebody come from the opposite halfback spot basically into the the opposite flats for a pick that they seem to know right away from the moment the ball was snapped right where the ball was going when to be there uh it, it was an unbelievable play now i i'm cautious in this because it also looked like it could have been the, the kind of play where you realize that the last second that you're out of position and you just bust your butt to get back there and it happens to be that the ball is there too but i just knowing mason pierce i can't think that that's what it is but i have seen players do that before where they're like oh I'm supposed to be lined up here and they take off ball happens to come that way. And, uh, Bob's your uncle, but I just don't think that's the kind of player Mason Pierce is. So I'm going to give that to him and film study and tendencies. Um, it's a remarkable play. So that's my play of the game. All right, JB, we got to wrap things up. So to go over our uh, schedule for the next week, the Argos are on a bye as they watch Hamilton and Montreal battle it out. We will have our pregame walkthrough pod, although it's just going to be our bye week pod uh, this week, as we uh, go through all our regular stuff, but also look for what we're expecting from Montreal-Hamilton, who we'd like to see come out of that matchup as well. And then we'll get into our regular weekly programming as the Argos get set to face whichever one of those two teams wins the game. If you haven't yet done so, make sure you buy tickets to the East Final. They've opened the upper deck on the east side. There's some great seats available. Get your tickets. Make sure you stop by something in the water brewing on your way to the game. And go to the game. Enjoy the game. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. It looks like the ticket sales are going really well. So you definitely want to be there for that if you're an Argos fan. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. That would just about do it for us on this post-game reaction podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe, foe.